Well, good evening and welcome to Talknosis After Dark. Many of you have been asking for a longer format program so that we can get more, uh, have more in-depth discussion of the topics that we raise during our video show. And we don't want to make our video show longer because people generally speaking don't have the time to focus their eyes on a video screen for more than 20 minutes but we do want to we, we do listen to you and we do want to offer more opportunity for conversation and discussion and so tonight we're actually following up on our show about Gnostic scriptures and well there there he is my co-host Bishop Ken how you doing Bishop Ken I'm doing really well and I think we need to kind of dive right into this. And also, we're going to be joined by our producer, Father Tony. Hey. Hey. Uh, but I think kind of diving into this, um, we kind of left the show before we went into our uh, news and our typical end-of-the-show rant. Um, we uh, it, we kind of left it where, uh, you know, I was basically saying, uh, in my opinion, um you know, Gnostic scripture, whether we're looking at, you know, uh, the Gnostic text, whether we're looking at canon text, whether we're looking at Taoist text or the texts of the Hindus or of the Sufis or of the Quran, of the Muslims, that many of these things all come from one source. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Gnosticism comes from one source and the ideas come from one source and then you said I may have to disagree with you about that <laughs> I, I'm not sure that it all comes from one source I'm not sure I'm not sure that everything comes from one source um, I think that you know I, I tend to operate as a monotheist in the sense that I'm only going to trouble myself with the idea of one ultimate God, um, right. who I you know try to learn about a little bit, but don't know that much about. Um, but I'm not convinced that 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 what I know as God is necessarily the ultimate uh, source of of meaning and being in the universe, that we might ha be living in a universe that is pregnant with all kinds of chaos and that there is, you know, perhaps in our sphere, whether it's our planet or our solar system or whatnot, there may uh, in fact be a, a deity that is, is there and that has a relationship with us, but I'm not convinced that even to the extent that I hope to worship and engage with the absolute, I'm not convinced that that is absolutely the only um, the only entity with ex with extraordinary power out there. So that would be where I would you know what I would say that I'm not sure that it all comes from the same source because I'm not sure where other people may be uh, getting their gnosis from. Also, I would add I think that it. it you don't really even you, you can't even really say with any certainty what parts of these scriptures come from the divine and what parts mm -hmm. of them come from some dude with an axe to grind you know <laughs> and yeah. sometimes in in one document you flip from one to the other uh, you know or you p could potentially flip from one to the other and a, a, a divinely inspired document could be on the one hand you know 
love thy neighbor, but make sure your women wear hats in church. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And and I see both of your guys' approaches in that. And, you know, I, I guess maybe I should have made myself a little bit more clear, is that I'm not necessarily saying that the hand of the divine, this one source, if we want to call it the one source, has divinely inspired every word in every sacred scripture. That's what I'm stating. What I'm saying is the truth that is gnosis that comes from any of these, you know. So we may read part of the Christian Bible. We may read part of the Gnostic scriptures. We may read, you know, uh, part of, uh, of Taoist teachings where we go, <gasps> and we get that aha moment as we discussed in our earlier YouTube show. Um, it is those for me that I see as part of the one source. It is part of that one source that is giving those little pieces and fragments of divinity throughout the world where we go, okay. Okay, it's can not, I ask it's you? It's not just one truth for one particular person, one particular culture, in one particular piece in time. Yeah. That, that this has been spread out since the beginning of time throughout all of humanity, and that no one particular group, individual, um, culture, religion, um, ethnicity is exclusive to, to Gnosis. Well, let me ask you specifically about that. Uh, yes, sir. The, do you, uh, maybe this is a whole separate show, but um, mm -hmm. do you think that enlightenment in a Buddhist sense is the same thing as gnosis in a in a Western sense. Hmm. I think that could be a whole entire another show. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. And, and yeah, thank you. Um, I actually want to know a guest for that. I don't know if it would get approved. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that there are similarities. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's the same, Tony. But I think that there are definitely similarities. Um, you know, uh, myself. I cannot claim to have a uh, Buddhist background like like some of the brethren I know within these particular movements who have studied a variety of things. Like most of us, I have studied many of the world's religions, but I don't claim to be an expert on anything except for what I study, which is Gnosticism. Um, but but I do see many similarities within within these things, Tony. Um, even with you know some of the things that you know I have loved in the past myself, things like kendo and aido, um, and things like swordsmanship. You know, there's this idea of no mind, you know, which is very Zen-like, um, which is the state that the warrior basically gets himself into, where basically him and his sword are basically one. But but in many Cases, this kind of nothingness, again, I think kind of goes back to, to the idea that many of the Gnostic schools kind of uh, approach to, kind of this idea of, of that which existed before everything else existed, the, the nothingness which all possibilities become manifest from. And I think that's always kind of been my approach to Gnosticism, sort of this... Um, that, that the Gnostic approach really looks at all possibilities and isn't just limited to any one thing. Is it the same? You know, without having a deep, I think, conversation with someone who 
is very much enlightened from from let's say that Buddhist experience, you know, uh, Tony, it'd be for, hard for me to kind of judge, but it's also hard for me to judge other people's noses. I can only judge my own, you know. Mm. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, Bishop Peterson, any thoughts on that? Oh, I thought I thought that he was talking to you, uh, Father Tony. I'm sorry. Um, I, 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 I'm just not entirely sure that all gnosis comes from one source. I don't know that I believe in, that there be that there is one source. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, I, I may function as a monotheist, but I don't know that I believe that there is one source. Um, so I'm not sure that when you know that whatever it comes. Whatever when we call it gnosis or enlightenment, when it comes to a person, I can't say that I believe it's coming from a particular source. The other thing that I would talk with would I think it's merits discussion is okay. Um, maybe somebody through this process of developing gnosis, becoming enlightened, working within a tradition. Uh, achieves and produces within him or herself a significant amount of wisdom mm -hmm. and is therefore able to write something, uh, write down or teach or speak something that is not a product necessarily of a specific incident of gnosis or enlightenment or an encounter with the divine but is in fact the product of one's own self one's own the one has produced one has wisdom and is therefore able to produce something that is capable of touching other people very deeply for establishing a, a spiritual tradition uh, providing people with tools for achieving gnosis in their own right I consider that to be sacred as well mm -hmm. uh, so I think that you know that's another way of, uh, of 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 looking at this, that uh, a, a something that we can call scripture doesn't necessarily have to be channeled, mm -hmm. uh, but can in fact be something that is absolutely the product of human wisdom, because that human has worked in partnership with the divine. Although there may be several divines out there for that person to partner with. So, I mean, in in a sense, you're talking about maybe I'm paraphrasing incorrectly your point, but uh, the the wisdom that comes with gnosis um, becomes that person's own personal wisdom, or do you think that it's something that is the the wisdom is universal and beyond you know the beyond personal um but that person taps into it or do you think that it's simply an intellectual thing that comes from these other things i don't think it is purely intellectual i believe that wisdom actually is centered more in the heart although there certainly is an intellectual aspect to it um, and certainly with the expression of it but i believe that wisdom is more in the heart but i think that it becomes a it, it can take on a, it becomes a product of a spiritual process and can take on, I don't want to say a life of its own, but it has its own power. Um, I don't know how 
universal it is because I'm not sure that there is such a thing, you know, that the wisdom he, the wisdom that I might develop or you or anybody else might develop here on earth is going to apply to somebody light years away <laughs> because we don't even know what other entities are like in the universe. We may be fairly unique. We're not saying that they don't have their own intelligences, but they may not be like us. They may not be human. Um, so I don't know how universal it would be, but it certainly may be transpersonal in that it may have a, a wider significance to a whole lot of people who are in our, who share that image with us. Interesting. Father Tony, your thoughts on this? You've, you've thrown out this question to both myself and Laney. I would like to hear kind of your thoughts, especially on the one uh, you were kind of asking me. Um, you know, do you, do you feel that there are similarities or is it the same experience for, let's say, the kind of the Buddhist idea of enlightenment, uh, the same as Gnosis? I also can't speak with any authority on enlightenment because I haven't studied Buddhism to any degree yeah. but for mm -hmm. you know as best you can do by you know uh, reading things that others have have written and, and said on the, on the subject it doesn't seem like the state of enlightenment nirvana you know whatever that process is for the Buddhist it doesn't seem to me like they're talking about the same thing that I understand as gnosis hmm. um it, I I couldn't you know obviously I couldn't say whether <laughs> one or the other is more uh, I I don't even I hesitate to even use the phrase but more spiritually useful than the other I don't even know what that would mean but you know it's, it it does seem to me like they're describing different kinds of things so in in a from my understanding again and and you know send me angry emails if I'm wrong um, mm -hmm. the the enlightenment process is about um, the emptying of the ego, the um, kind of living in the present moment kind of thing, whereas a gnosis experience is an anamnesis, a, a, a lack, a loss of forgetfulness, if yeah. you were, if you will, um, mm -hmm. that is very full of something and not empty of something in the way that I've heard enlightenment described. So I, that's my very high level, 30,000 foot view, superficial, <laughs> mm. uh, opinion on that. Um, mm. also about the, the, the inspiration or whatnot. And my computer just went to sleep. Here's a problem I did not expect to have <laughs> <laughs> when recording a podcast, uh, just the monitors. But anyway, um, the, in my own experience, again, I, I can really only speak to my own experience, but in my own experience of, of you know, divine inspiration, um, I'm, I'm absolutely aware of certain ideas and concepts and things that have arisen in my consciousness that I didn't mm -hmm. put there and that didn't come from anything that I read or anything like that. I mean, not to say that I'm, you know, special or unique. I think this happens to people... I just don't think most people examine these things as closely as maybe I do, you know, mm -hmm. being in the industry, <laughs> so to speak. So I, I, you know, whether that is a product of my own personal work and that just by the, just by the act of doing the work that I am able as an individual to come to these conclusions that don't seem to be 
well, that I wouldn't have come to normally, um, or if it's just that my spiritual work has prepared me to receive information like that, I I would guess the latter. Um, yeah, I would have to agree with you. I would have to guess the latter as well. So I don't know what that means. I haven't written any scriptures. Actually, that's a, I, mm-hmm. that's a note I took when we were talking when you were talking uh, during the video part of the show. Um, the where is it? Um, so like so yeah, where do these where do you think these documents come from? These these Gnostic scriptures or the canonical scriptures or any of these things? Where you know, just speculate wildly. Where do you think they come from? Oh, I think well, that, that's a very good question. I, I think you know, um, of course, you've got the school of thought that these are divinely inspired. Um, you know, I, I think in many ways, many of these things started off as oral traditions and stories and, and passed on. Um, I don't know as much as I would agree as they are divinely inspired in the same sense that many of my uh, more traditional Christian brethren would say. I would say, though, again, that these things are inspired in the sense that they do hit upon some kind of universal truths. And I think that many of these things were you know, recorded by those who have attained a certain sense of gnosis. If we take... Christ, for an example, is one who had attained this gnosis, and this gnosis and his particular methods were were taught to his disciples, who then taught it to others. Um, I think whether we are looking at if the, these words came from Christ, whether they came from his disciples, whether they came from the disciples of the disciples, I think that many of these things do kind of tend or speak to us as um, as being divine because they do kind of hit that kind of universal truth nerve within us, I think, for those of us who who are kind of in tune with that thing. You know, if you're not in tune with it feeling divine, I think you're not going to feel as divine, you know. Um, I think that would be true for those who... Uh, um, you know, uh, are looking at at Christian at the Christian Bible, whether it's the Gnostic scriptures, whether you're looking at any sacred scripture from any tradition. I think if it speaks to you, you kind of feel that's that part of divinity speaking to you. But I don't think that's necessarily going to be true for everyone who looks at those scriptures. I don't know what's your thoughts on that, sister. Um. Yeah. I mean, the thing is. It- you have these these myths that are clearly based on some of the Jesus stories. I mean, there 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 there's there are differences and that sort of thing. But you have some mm-hmm. of the, the, the these stories. These gospels have different stories about that. You have you know some things that strike me as being speculation. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you have Mary Magdalene, people are you know there's she's addressed in, in some of the Gnostic scriptures as the Savior loved her and kissed her off and on the mouth and had this relationship. And I, I sometimes wonder, okay, was this part of an oral tradition or was somebody trying to fill in the gaps? You know, we we, we write. Um, we who like various fiction series will write fan fiction because we're not satisfied with the story as as we have it. Um, so I, I, I do wonder about that. I guess I'm a lot less interested in the story uh, as much as I am, or the, the various stories, but just as I am in what's going on in the texts when they speak about uh, spiritual processes. What is, what is going on in these myths? What is the story behind the story? 
um, you you said something there that kind of made my brain go off on a little tangent there. You, you said <laughs> you said fan fiction. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's I I was trying to see if uh, if Miguel Connor could be on the show with us tonight because um, he. He's very knowledgeable about the Gnostic scriptures, but um, he uh, he often refers to the Gnostic scriptures as you know uh, fanfics, as Gnostic you know Gnostic Christian fan fiction. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's a fairly apt analogy. Uh, you know, you you look at Irenaeus accused the Gnostics of writing enormous fictions, right? And writing their own gospels yeah. and all that stuff. And of course, certainly we know that they did. And that's where these yeah. things came from. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what are the modern day enormous fictions? You know, I think of movies like The Matrix or Pan's Labyrinth or things yeah. like that as mm -hmm. our modern day Gnostic myths. Um, mm -hmm. Which leads me to wonder, are, you know, if obviously they didn't have recording equipment back in the you know first second third centuries when these things were being written down so were these the you know kind of popular well they weren't the popular entertainment necessarily of the day but for a certain crowd of people like us they would have been fairly entertaining mm -hmm. um our our movies you know our, and youtube videos and and what have you are they the are they the gospels of the 21st century. It's it's a new form of media, and people are telling the story differently. Uh, and it's interesting you brought up the notion of remembering. You know that you have this experience of remembering, and sometimes I don't even know if the people who well someone like Philip K. Dick obviously he had an experience. He was able to put it into context, and he mm -hmm. came out with Vallis and and you know the divine invasion, the transmigration of Timothy Archer. I mean that that's that was right there but some of the other popular versions I'm not entirely sure what they know about about classical Gnosticism or the Gnostic myth but I, I sometimes wonder um, but do they have the, to do they have to yeah, actually do they have to do, do we have something encoded in us that's what I wonder. that can yeah. erupt at the strangest moments and cause us to remember something in a pink and then light. and then share the memory um, it almost I, makes I, me want to look into uh, the neuroscience of memory. Uh, well, I think you case both got a good point there. Yeah, I, I think I think that very much could be. You know, it's something that's kind of encoded. I mean, um, maybe slightly off topic, but I mean, if we take a look at whether it's um, well, let's take a look at things like biblical stories and some of the the myths that are within the Bible. I mean, whether we're talking about uh, creation myths, whether we're talking about flood myths, even when we're talking about stories of like Christ's birth. I mean, all of these things seem to come from other myths and stories that predated Christianity. I mean, we can probably all of us sit here and give multiple examples of all of those particular types of myths. Now. We could argue that did they borrow these things from other cultures or were these things kind of, again, kind of these universal truths, as you guys hear me talking about tonight, of coming from one source that kind of sparked within these people that regardless whether they had previous knowledge of these things, that this now became part of became part of their myth because it was part of this one source, part of this one universal truth that now has retold itself 
through a, through a different culture, through a different religion, through a different language, you know. And as Tony said, and as you said, you know, do we need to even have a knowledge of these things of the past for this to kind of spark, you know, mm-hmm. you know, is it even needed? Well, we use the we've used the example of Philip K. Dick a couple of times here. Yes, um, but you know, and and we we tell the story in a way that seems like uh, you know he was just a regular old Joe six pack science fiction writer who you know had, all of a sudden one day had his pink bean of life shoot in, shoot into his brain. But the, I mean that's not entirely accurate. He was a student of religion before this incident came in you know so i i don't know of i can't think of any stories from recent or ancient history um where somebody who just had no interest in any of this stuff whatever Mm -hmm. all of a sudden had some you know enlightenment experience or gnosis experience or or whatever you know you know paul uh you know saul's uh conversion on the road to damascus, damascus you know yeah. he wasn't he, he you know he he was no slouch he was an educated dude he knew what he knew what was up mm-hmm. um so i don't know does do you need to have that preparation uh, we've veered far, far from non-scriptures, yeah, but, you know, I think that's why people wanted us to go longer, so we could yeah. meander, but... Yeah. I think that the preparation at least will give you some context, so that you can maybe give it some coherence. Uh, see, that's interesting. I, we, we've we talked a lot about context, but actually, before you, you came on as the hosts of the show, that was kind of the the buzzword, is that Gnosticism is the context in which Gnosis is processed. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly lots of cases of Gnosis, Philip K. Dick again being one of them. As an mm-hmm. Episcopalian, Philip K. Dick had an experience of Gnosis. Um, it, it, like I often say, Gnosis is universal, but the you know the but Gnosticism is very specific, and it has mm-hmm. a specific kind of. Uh, goalposts on either side that it falls within. Um, scholars debate exactly what those goalposts are, but you know they they are there. Um, so these the the context of Gnosticism and the context of uh, created by the scriptures, the Gnostic scriptures, um, are the tools that we as modern Gnostics have to understand the Gnosis experience on an intellectual level at at the very least, uh, in order to move on from that point because otherwise you just have a weird experience and then you know I, I i suspect that it happens all the time people have these weird experiences and then chalk it up to bad eggs or something and yeah you know and don't yeah. have the context that we have that we're aware of because we study this stuff and we're geeks about it yeah i, I totally understand that let me ask you father tony do you see gnosticism as opposed to gnosis gnosticism in, as a religion in and of itself no i see it as a family of religions but i, I think okay. we're probably splitting hairs at that point um i, I and you know like you have uh gnosticism in the context of christianity of gnosticism in the context of islam you have gnosticism in the context of judaism and the, you know and and various other traditions and the, so they it is in my opinion a subset of all of those things um i i don't know if others 
necessarily go as far as that, you know, as inclusive as I do. I know some people certainly want to take Gnosticism and remove it entirely. That you talked about that during the video part of the show. Um, do you throw that that baby out with that bathwater? Mm-hmm. Um, you, in fact, let's let's look back around. One of the first notes that I took while you were talking, you said a number of times during the video show. Um, so-called Gnostic scriptures, Bishop Peterson. And so I, I wanted to kind of get your explanation of your scare quotes there, so-called. <laughs> um, I think part of it is is that it, it, it's more, um, I don't know, for example, to what degree, I, I, know, I don't know to what degree the authors of these scriptures would have appreciated their scriptures being lumped in with the other scriptures from other communities. Mm. The other Christian communities or the other uh, Gnostic community, like, did you well, think Val- they, Valentinus they, yeah. didn't like, or rather Manny didn't think that he was a Valentinian or? Yeah, yeah I, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, it's, it's, I think it was uh, Sister Rebecca pointed out in a, in a comment, you know, they didn't necessarily call themselves Gnostics. Right. And so there was that, that issue. But if you had these competing communities or possibly competing, competing communities, each with their own version of things, I don't know how happy they would be to know that 2,000 years later, somebody puts all of their stuff into one book and calls it a Gnostic Bible. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that. As I do respect uh, Sister Rebecca's opinion, uh, yeah. but I. I don't think that the the fact that they didn't call themselves Gnostic is it has any relevance on that argument. Um, they don't call themselves Russian. They call themselves something in Russian. So I mean, you know, that whatever the Russian word for Russian is, you know, we call them Russian because we speak English, and we're right. talking about them from outside of the group. Um, mm-hmm we as a species create categories and put things in them yeah that's what we do i mm-hmm. you i'm perfectly willing to debate and decide where the boundaries of a category go um but i think for a family of traditions that fall into my category of gnosticism have the pursuit of gnosis at their core mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of other window dressing that goes along with that um, but that is just what it is, window dressing, you know. So uh, I, I don't think that your um, your uh, your mainstream uh, Protestant Christian church down the road cares very much about Gnosis. But I think that there are Christian groups that do, and those Christian groups fall into my category of Gnosticism, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, they don't necessarily have to use the Gnostic scriptures. Although they're useful, I think they're useful. Yeah. Um, but like you mentioned during the video show, the Gospel of John has a lot of Gnosticism in it. Um, the letters of Paul have a lot of Gnosticism in it, some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can be a Gnostic in the Christian Church. You can be a Gnostic and be uh, a Muslim. You can be uh, you can be a Gnostic and be mm-hmm. a Jew. So there's no, you know, it, even though these are disparate religions with disparate uh, on the surface, anyway, disparate ideas. There's that core. Mm-hmm. Well, and the reason why you so-called is just for the reasons that I that I stated. I, I see. I see. You're certainly your point that these were probably scriptures from communities that were operating, certainly in the pursuit of gnosis. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Where would you put Thunder Perfect Mind? 
Well, see that one, and I think the Gospel of Thomas are tricky uh, because they don't necessarily have a theology that you can point to. Mm-hmm. Um, they are useful as poetry, and they certainly fit within a number of various categories. There isn't a lot in um, in uh, uh, the Gospel of Thomas that would be all that objectionable to most mainstream Christians. No, and it isn't so, to many mainstream Christians. Right. So the fact that Gnostics used it and made use of it, uh, you know, so I... It, not necessarily strictly speaking Gnostic. It doesn't talk about a demiurge. It doesn't talk about emanations. It doesn't talk about really even Gnosis. Mm-hmm. But it's it's useful in in and around the the, the periphery. And I, I I think the same about Thunder Perfect Mind. That there's you know there's stuff in there that you can use, but it's not. I don't think it was written specifically. Well, we can't know if it was written by a Gnostic for a community pursuing Gnosis. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, and I, you know, I don't think the Wachowskis wrote the Matrix for Gnostics pursuing Gnosis, but I think that it's there anyway. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing. It, yeah, it's, it's Thunder Perfect Mind is one of those 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 books. It's just every time I read it, it it's an incredible, but. <sighs> It's difficult, as you were talking about, how do you describe the taste of chocolate, Bishop Ken? <laughs> it's one of those things that yeah, touches me very dif- d- deeply on the inside. And then, of course, uh, some students of Western es- esotericism have pointed out the similarities between Thunderbird Perfect Mind and the Daughter of Fortitude message that Sir Edmund Kelly got when he was scrying um, the Enochian uh, Ethers with uh, Dr. John D, and that there are some real similarities there, even though Thunder Perfect Mind wasn't <laughs> discovered until centuries later. And so it, it's at those times when I have to, when I reflect and I look at the similarities, I'm thinking, okay, something, to my mind, something broke through, it, that something was breaking through um, the dense energy that we surround ourselves with, with and was trying to communicate something. Now, I'm still trying to figure out what uh, these female voices were trying to communicate. And uh, I haven't quite got there yet, I have to confess. But it's it's one of those things that it, it's, a, it's profoundly moving, but I don't have the level of wisdom at this point to make good use of it or to even allow it to uh, transform my inner being to the point where I can offer a significant commentary on it. Mm-hmm. That's my experience. For me, it's, it's a devotional. Fun and Perfect Mind is a devotional yeah, yeah. Uh, book. It's not something that I am I'm, I'm learning from, but it's, it's highly devotional in nature. And I think that's important uh, maybe when we're when we're talking about the scriptures, that some scriptures are far more devotional than instructional. Oh, absolutely. Yes, uh, I I think I th- I think of the Psalms that way as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You mentioned um, <clears throat> you mentioned John Dee's uh, revelation and how uh, Thunder Perfect Mind would not have been discovered or translated into English for some time. How do you think that Gnosticism has changed since the discovery of the Nag Hammadi Library? You know, I was reading, I was uh, reading uh, a translation of some of the Gnostic 
uh, scriptures and I was reading the intro and it was describing uh, what happened when those books were discovered and what was interesting is that the person who discovered them said, you know, they cracked open this jar looking for treasure and they saw gold, uh, cold, gold flecks go up in the air mm -hmm. and then dissipate. And of course, the author of the book immediately stepped in and said, well, he was just seeing papyrus fragments. Um, yes, well, uh, Phil, Philip K. Dick actually <laughs> keeps coming up today. He, you, he yeah. called that the homoplasmate, right? Yep, he, he and, sure did. And he felt that that was the reemergence of the Gnostic idea into, mm -hmm. into the world. Yeah. And uh, and restarted that timeline. Or It's an interesting story. If you it's had, interesting, yeah. yeah. But yes, absolutely. You know, this golden cloud that came up out of the jar... They were Made entirely of, air for Pyrus, yes. yes. Um, they were afraid but, of genies. That, did did, did yeah. they mention that part of the story? Yeah, I think that they were concerned about genies. Yeah, they didn't um, know that they were going to get cursed yeah. if they opened the jar. But what I will say, and the thing I brought up in the, in the, in the original video that we did on this, is that these, these scriptures have not been used for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Whereas the scriptures in the canonical Old and New Testaments have been used, worked with, studied... Uh, parsed out, translated, debated, it had a lot of devotional use. And Bishop Ken, you know, we've talked about Egregore a bit on this show. Yeah, I was is, just thinking about this. Is, yeah, is, this, uh, but, is, you know, is it possible for a scripture this? to develop a, a or a scripture, or a, or the use, or a scripture, or even a community that uses a scripture developing an Egregore around that? And that perhaps has not happened. What do you think, uh, Father Tony? Um, yeah, I, the the concept of egregore is is a little bit, you know, it's a little bit foreign to me. I understand, I think, on an intellectual level, what people mean when they talk about egregore, but I'm not sure I exactly have experienced that um, in a way that's meaningful to me. I don't know uh, how else to put it, but um, but I do think that there is value in having a community using a text or a prayer or, you know, one particular little ritual um, and using that as part of their spiritual life. The, one of the things that I wanted to do when I was writing my book on the Joanite spiritual practices, I I wanted to make sure that we included that service of the Logos, um, which, which is just this little tiny snippet of ritual uh, mm -hmm. that, that Joanites can do. Um, but one of my goals is to get Joanites all over the world, whether or not they are directly associated with a local parish. They might be in, you know, uh, in, in Myanmar and they don't have a, you know, a Joanite church near them, but they can do this ritual and be a part of the community. And I think that that does have some kind of spiritual reality all of its own. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you call it egregore, call it whatever you want. Um, you know, so so yes, absolutely. I think that the the reemergence and the the rising popularity of the Gnostic scriptures um, will increase. I know you didn't ask this specifically, but it will increase the level of gnosis, if such a thing could be measured by levels, uh, <laughs> in the world. So I, I, that's that's pretty exciting for me, and that's why I do all these you know, video shows and things. <laughs> exactly. But do you think that there's also that risk of the inverse fundamentalism where then you're, you might have some folks who 
again, coming from a background similar to mine or, or, or Bishop Ken's, who were used to a significant reliance on the scriptures, unlike uh, Catholic or Orthodox Christians, uh, where there's a tendency to, you know, find a couple of Gnostic scriptures and then develop a dogma from them and yeah. basically stick into it. Well, yeah, sure. It's interesting uh, that you should ask that because one of the things that I was trying to think about as we were, as you were discussing fundamentalism is what would a Gnostic fundamentalism even look like? You know, I, I do, do you, you know, do you have well, a... <laughs> the, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll be honest, guys. I mean, I see this thing happening in other kind of traditions and I won't mention any specifically, but I mean, but I see traditions that have new prophets or new writings and and groups that you know use the word gnosis in them and some of them become very fundamentalist to to their to their teachers or to the writings text almost to the sense that they take every word literally <laughs> and they're becoming fundamentalist and i think that um that we could very much be in danger of the same type of thing to kind of backstep though to what uh, you and Tony had thrown your two cents worth in as far as egregore on this is that I find what's kind of interesting is that um, um, when I'm hearing the story about kind of gold flex, you know, coming out of the jars and kind of this kind of being like kind of the rebirth of, of, um, of kind of this Gnostic egregore, um, you know, I very much believe that, you know, if this egregore had been fed, let's say, by Gnostic communities, you know, centuries ago, and now it's remained dormant, um, but now it's being fed back energy again, I think that that egregore can be reawakened, and that that egregore, if it's being fed, um, can help to shape the tradition, maybe in a way as it was originally manifest. Because the egregore is going to want to see itself true to itself. Does that, well, okay. Uh, I don't think that a first century Gnosticism is relevant in the 21st century. And, mm -hmm. You know, no matter how profound and, and deep and effective it would have been, I think mm -hmm. that if you tried to plop a Sethian community down in, in Manhattan, <laughs> it would be... Sethians in Manhattan, that would be good. Decidedly movie. amusing? Yes. <laughs> Well, after they stopped screaming because all the cars were going to kill them and, uh, you know, the lights and everything, and they didn't well, understand what was happening. I just Again, Tony, that... you know, let me just interrupt you. You know, simply is that, again, don't take my words literally. <laughs> you know, you know what, I, what I am not, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the egregore, the current um, creating the same thing as a first century or second century Gnostic. What I'm saying is that same type of energy. That doesn't mean that it's not going to become manifest in new art, in new ideas and manifest in some way that's relevant to us today. Mm. You know? Okay. I see. Um, the, the, the bit about fundamentalism though, I don't, I don't want to leave that before we explore it a bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I, I'm trying to picture. I'm still trying to picture a Gnostic fundamentalism, and I think it's fairly. I mean, it's possible. Uh, you can believe the way that the young Earth uh, creationists believe that the Earth is six thousand years old, and you know, uh, human beings rode around on dinosaurs and and, and all that stuff, and um, and can raise a bunch of money and build a museum. But the 
and I think <laughs> you can do that with Gnosticism. I think you can you can say you know um, Sophia fell, uh, you know this literal being Sophia fell and created right. this li- you know literal being the demiurge and uh, right. and and they literally created this lump of clay thing and tried to blow their their life into it um and that you know and then you go on from there essentially the same way that the young earth creationists do where you say yeah and then there was adam and eve and then they had two kids who died and then they had seth and then you know every single human being on the planet is a descendant of seth you know who's who's the mother well who don't worry about that um <laughs> you know but but at the same time the 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 pursuit of gnosis in and of itself i don't think lends itself to fundamentalism so i'm not you know like there is a this kind of a disconnect between you know believe this stuff to be literally true and mm-hmm. um pursue an inner understanding of these ideas i think there's nothing though stopping somebody from grabbing the name of gnostic and deciding to make a whole lot of definitions and oh, a whole, well, you know, absolutely. yeah, and, and define the perimeters. Times. You know, I've, I've seen, for example, um, some people who, who claim to be Gnostics or defenders of Gnosticism who criticize our tradition because of its uh, association with continental and uh, esotericism mm-hmm. and, and, and occultism. So you're, you're, that, that can certainly happen. Um, and I suppose there's always, I mean, there's always the possibility of some weird cult. Uh, and I know we're not supposed to use the word cult because it's supposed to be an othering term, but I think it's a very useful one. Um, we all know what it means. Um, somebody comes up with this and, and, and decides to run with that. But that would require a, a very charismatic leader. Um, I, I'm just wondering if, if, if people progress more in their use of the, of the Gnostic scriptures or the traditional Gnostic scriptures, um, if there, we, we might not see some rather strange manifestations that will probably sort themselves out in relatively short order. But I, I, I can see the possibility of some people getting it into their heads that we've got to reconstruct a tradition and spend a lot of time doing that. Yeah. Yeah, well, good luck to them. <laughs> yeah, good luck to them. Well, I don't know if you've been paying any attention to what's going on in the neo-pagan community, but there's been quite a bit of a dispute um, now about whether you know, the gods are archetypes, whether, uh, you know, the, uh, whether people should be actually devoted very, in very specific ways to the historical gods. There's been a huge uh, kerfuffle in the, uh, the neo-pagan uh, blogging community. Yeah, I have, been, I have been seeing some of those uh, blog post flame wars going back and forth. It's been very entertaining. Um, when I when I traveled through neo paganism on my own personal spiritual journey, um, I did not ingratiate myself on very many forums uh, because I I would always ask the question: Okay, so if you're trying to recreate a Bronze Age spirituality, right, which is uh, you know what a reconstructionist pagan is for the most part trying to do. Um, the when you look at the the tools and the technology they used it was the very latest modern technology that they had available to them you know mm-hmm. if you you know if you believe that they had you know were using cauldrons and you know things like that and stuff that would take knowledge of working with metals to accomplish um, mm-hmm. so then why why don't you have 
you know, why aren't you using computers and, uh, you know, other modern technology for your paganism today? Uh, because that, I, I would feel, is as in keeping with a Reconstructionist uh, kind of theology than let's keep everything the way it was in the in the Bronze Age. But, you know, like yeah. I say, I didn't make a whole lot of friends <laughs> doing that. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's going to be interesting, you know, the relationship also between religion and culture. I mean, religion shapes culture, but does culture shape religious expression? Should, should culture shape religious yeah. expression is the other question, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting watching liberal Protestant churches, and I'm not picking on them in particular. Oh, well, maybe I am, but um, that, you know, who, who have responded to uh, various social movements and concerns and have, some people have accused them of adapting their theology uh, to, to uh, accommodate uh, liberal sensi- liberal socially liberal sensibilities. And guess what the conservative Christians call those liberal Christians? They call them Gnostic. Yes, they do. <laughs> they, they, they have been known to do that. They have been known to do that. Yeah, we just can't. Uh, we can't catch a break. <laughs> no, we sure can. But you know what? I want a Gnostic museum. Okay. I think we should have a Gnostic museum. Send your donations to uh, <laughs> yes. info@gnosticnyc.com. And we'll and we'll get one going. Just I'm email, sure. Email me a five dollar bill or something like that. I don't know how we would take the donation at this point. What kind of animatronics would we have? Uh, <laughs> we'd have a demiurge. We'd have a, <laughs> this lion-faced serpent. You know, I there is no god before me. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we could we could yeah, actually we have do it like a ride at Disney. You know, maybe like it's a small world where you're like in a little <laughs> going around. You know. Oh, it's God. Somebody, after somebody all. make that I mean, happen, please. Somebody with an <laughs> uh, You have a lot background. of money, and, and, and you don't know what to do with it. We can help. <laughs> we, we, have, we have thoughts. We, we have, have thoughts. many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're talking, you know, Gnostic, you know, museum. I'm thinking Gnostic theme park, you know? Oh, oh, that could well, be. Well, a theme park oh, can yeah, have a come on. You know, come on, a Gnostic roller coaster. Come on. <laughs> think about it. Think about the possibilities. You know. We could have the adult theme park and then have the bordello for the Thunder <laughs> So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Carpo creation <yeah>. hall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But now we're getting very silly. But, yeah, I mean, it's. it's, um, it's if, well, what, it is after our show. Yeah. This kind of after money. Dark? What? we do with with this kind of money yeah well when the when the the lottery gets pretty high you know you see everybody say oh you know let's let's all go in and buy a bunch of tickets and if we win we'll give it all to the church yeah and, right yeah, yeah sure they will sure <laughs> Gnostic AJC what, what's all that about yeah small yeah. church problems <laughs> uh, yeah well we're uh, we're almost at our hour here we um, sure are. And we seem to have run out of uh, serious things to talk about. <laughs> Very silly. So it's Well, probably... it's been fun. And, you know, yeah. I think sometimes it's even it's a little bit of silliness, you know, coming at the end. Um, I think it kind of helps to show our, our uh, viewers that, hey, you know what? We can sit around and talk about this stuff without taking ourselves all that seriously all the time and have fun while, 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 uh, while um, 
talking about these things. Actually, you know? you know where's a great place to do that in real life? The the Joe and I Conclave. Yes, it is, and it's yeah, coming right. up, isn't it, Father Tony? It is. It's coming up uh, end of May. I don't know the dates off the top of my head, but if you're listening to this, because I'll very likely release it, um, then, uh, you know, sign up. Go to joeandite.org, and uh, that's Joe and I with two N's. And, you know, come come to the Conclave and hang out with us. We'll be there, and we'll be, uh, uh, you know, we'll be drinking scotch and <laughs> telling, maybe telling some, dirty jokes and whatnot. And maybe some port wine. And... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I Bishop Lenny, making a special offer. If you do uh, attend the Jonite uh, Conclave after listening to this show, the first five people to say, talk gnosis to me, I will buy them a drink. Whoa. I will buy them. So I'm sweetening the pot here on the on the on the, on the behalf of the Jonites. So, so uh, employees, if I run up to you and yeah, yeah. you, I'm sorry, you're not eligible for this ah. particular promotion. So, so I can't walk into you go talk gnosis and get a free scotch. No, you get a. Oh, kiss, that's not though. fair. Uh, well, okay, that works too. Uh, uh, Bishop Canterbury, yeah. I've got a plan. Let's find somebody who doesn't drink and have them do it. <laughs> that is a great plan. See, that's why I'm the producer. I solve problems. Yeah, that is a great plan. A lot of fun, and, and actually, uh, you know, it, it got me thinking about a number of things, so this is awesome. Yeah, I am really kind of digging this uh, kind of, um, um, what are we calling this, after hours? or after uh, dark, yeah. After dark, you know. <laughs> I, I think this is kind of a nice approach after our show to be able to kind of uh, kind of continue the kind of the talks we are on little different tangents. I mean, we definitely went off topic several times tonight. But it all, you know, it all kind of relates to, uh, you know, what we're talking about. This is great. I hope we continue this, guys. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, uh, have a good night, you guys, and uh, have a good night, everybody out in uh, Internet land. <laughs> yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening to our first Thank podcast. Thank you so much. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. 